That's a very sweet song. Thanks, Connie. And Miss Deb Flora, thank you for the beautiful gong bath this morning. All of the bowls and the sounds. It's very, I could feel everything just moving as you were doing that. Kind of feel a little bit more centered and in my body, which is a good thing. Thank you. I know that's a lot of setup too, isn't it? Like carrying, just imagine carrying all of those things in. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So I didn't get a chance to ask earlier because we were kind of moving through quickly some other things, but how many of you are here for the first time today? If you'll just raise your hands, our angels will bring you a little information about Unity Spiritual Center. So our nine o'clock service is our contemplative service, and it's a little different than other things. Uh, It's a little quieter. It's a little deeper. Um, I'm actually so thrilled to see so many of you here today because we have our annual meeting after our 11 o'clock service today. And usually we have like 10 people in here. So it's really nice that you're here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, If you're members, I hope you'll be able to come back and join us for the annual meeting this afternoon. We'll be electing officers and hopefully approving some bylaw shifts and uh, talking a little bit about sharing our building with another community, which is a big and interesting conversation for us to be in. Um, It falls right in line with our mission to be inclusive and to see the holy in each other. So I'm excited about that time with you this afternoon. Excited about our time together now as well. If you're visiting, this year our theme is Masters, Mystics, and Metaphysicians. And we are looking at um, what it is to master something. What it really means to choose something in your life that you're passionate about and to follow that passion and see where it takes you and stay in that passion your whole life. You know, to not to say that your passion couldn't shift, but most of the masters that, that we'll spend time with this year have known what their passion was most of their life and have followed it, have stayed committed to it. So this, um, this, the, the mystic that we're talking about today and we'll be completing with today is certainly right in line with that, isn't he? We started in January with Charles Fillmore and spoke about his mystical experiences. And we spent February exploring love through the eyes of the 13th century mystic poet named Rumi. And this month in March, we've been talking about someone who wasn't really recognized and isn't very often recognized as a mystic. And that's George Washington Carver, who mostly is known as a scientist. And most of what we know about him comes during Black History Month, and we learn about all the great stuff that he did for farmers. But he was known as the man who talked to flowers. And he, his mystical experience began as a very young child. Uh, he was born into slavery. He was emancipated later on as the Civil War came to an end. But he stayed in the home of the people who had been masters of his mother, uh, owners, And was raised by them and uh, taught to read, went to school, uh, was the first black student 
to enter Iowa State University and the first black student to graduate Iowa State University and the first uh, black graduate invited, first black person invited to teach at Iowa State University. And that was just the beginning. He had many, many, many firsts. He went from Iowa State University to Tuskegee University. Uh, he was invited there by Booker T. Washington. And all through that whole time, he was discovering things. He was inventing products and discovering things. And all of that happened for him through the hand of the holy working as him. So when he was very young, he went out, started going out in the woods about four o'clock in the morning and he would go out to a special place and he would talk to nature. And more importantly, he would ask questions and nature would speak back to him, which is really a powerful consideration when you think about the fact that we talk so much about being one with God that we are carrying the essence of the holy, the indwelling divine with us through everything that we do. We are the, the hands, the heart, the moving spirit of the holy. Every moment that we breathe, probably every moment that we don't breathe, but what we know about are the moments that we're breathing. This is who we are and what we are and how we move. And yet we don't often add into that category of all being one, all the things that are one with us, all the plants, all the flowers, all the stones, all the, all the animals, all the birds, all the fish, all the everything. The indigenous cultures knew that, didn't they? They spoke in all my relations. They knew that all of those were part of their sacred family. But in our modern world, we lose track of that. And George Washington Carver did not lose track. What is unique and special about his mystical experience is that he was very clear and very in line with what we believe as unity, that when he heard the voice of the trees, of the plants, of the rocks he carried in his pockets, that it was the holy communicating in that form. So it's not very hard to think about that with each other, is it? To look at each other and go, okay, you're the delivery person. <laughs> you're bringing the holy. I can see the holy in your eyes. And you're, you, we hope that we can see that in each other. But how many of you have been camping or hiking in our local woods? And how many of you, you can raise your hand or not, how many of you have taken the time when you're walking through and there are 27 pine trees all around you to notice that each one is an individual different being. A couple, good. Those of you who haven't, there's an invitation in that for you. There's an invitation to walk through the woods recognizing that you are greeting life. Because this is what George Washington Carver did. He said, good morning. He connected with each being that he passed in such a profound way that he could ask a question through his mind 
and the secret answer would be told to him. Powerful to think about that. First of all, it'll make your hike a lot longer. Take you a long time to walk through the woods that way. But it's a very interesting thing. Very, very interesting thing. And he was an amazing man. His philosophy of life was to be in service to those at the farthest, lowest level. And he had tremendous opportunities. Thomas Edison wanted to hire him, offered him what was at that time a massive amount of money to come to work for him. And he said no, because he had received the message over and over from the Holy that he was to be in service to the very poor black farmers who were learning how to take care of the land, how to have a crop that they could make money on. He was contacted by Mahatma Gandhi. He didn't go find Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi went through great effort to find him because he was an expert when it came to nutrition. And Gandhi wanted to know how to give himself the most nutrition he could between his fasts. And so he tracked down George Washington Carver to find him. And that was at a time in our country where this brilliant mind and deep spirit was invited to go out and speak at very notable events and had to enter through the servant's door. Had to eat his meal in the kitchen. Was not allowed to eat a meal with the people who came to hear him speak. And still... His name spread to the farthest continents because of the work he did. We think that, you know, Henry Ford is behind the, the automobile. We don't take much time to challenge that question. But the automobile, the beginnings of the automobile came out of the African-American culture, not out of our Anglo culture. And Henry Ford contacted George Washington Carver, who helped him figure out how to create an assembly line, what it was going to take, what kinds of, of rubbers and oils and equipment would be necessary to make the assembly line. You don't hear about that very often. There are a lot of pieces of his history that are hidden behind the names of notables in that, that we learn about. But this was a pretty amazing man. The very first African-American to have a national monument named after him. The very first African-American to have a national park named after him. He did tremendous work. And he told people the same thing over and over. When he asked for the secrets of the universe, God told him there were too many and it was too big. That was a pretty big thing for him to try and understand. And when he asked, what is the purpose of human beings? God said, still pretty big. Let's go for something else. So he said, what is the purpose of the peanut? And God told him, okay, good. There's a lot of purposes here. Over 300. 
he developed over 300 uses for that small little being and changed the world because he listened. So the point I want to leave you with as we wrap up the story of George Washington Carver is that there is so much information available to you that if you recognize that you are interacting not only with each other and the other people out there, but with the entirety of the world around you, if you slow yourself down to see life in all of its forms and faces, there are miracles waiting for you to observe. How many of you have had an experience in nature that felt like a miracle? How many of you have had an actual answer come? How many of you have asked a question? A couple. So I've had a couple of interesting experiences. I was 38 years old. I was thinking about this on the way in this morning. I was 38 years old. That was 19 years ago. How did that happen? <laughs> My girlfriend came home from having gone to a park with her kids. And she said, there's this amazing tree. And it's, this was in Texas, and Texas has these great big live oaks. And she said, it's right by the pond over in this park that was just, you know, half a mile from my house. And she said, it's got eight arms, and they all sit out this, this way. And it's low enough that you can crawl up in it, and you can scoot along these great big branches out over the water. And I, as she was telling me, I was thinking, you can scoot. <laughs> There's no way I'm getting up in a tree. I'd probably been 20 years then since I'd climbed a tree. And, um, but she was really intent upon how beautiful it was and what an amazing place it was. And so I went the next day and I got up in the tree and it wasn't too bad. It was like, I only had to get up about this high and then the branches started going out. And so I scooted my way all the way up and out over the, over the pond. And I, sat there for about two hours. And my grandma used to tell me when I was little, you know how the, the water reflects the light? My grandma used to tell me that those were the fairies. Those were the fairies dancing on the water. And so I sat up there for a long time watching to see if I could see the fairies. And just not, just doing what kind of what we do in our meditation when we're just being when we're really not doing anything, we're making ourselves available. And, and I heard this, I don't even know how to call it. It wasn't really a voice, but this presence. See, I'm glad you're here. And, and I knew immediately that it was the tree. And I kind of laid back turned around and laid back so that I could look up into the branches. And at, the time, at that time in my life, I was going through a divorce and I was really struggling with making myself really steeled against the world. And I didn't want anything to, to cause harm. I didn't want anything to touch my tender heart. And as I looked up in the trees, she started telling me about the bark on the trees. And all the way up at the top, it was springtime, and I could see the little leaves, the little light green, that really neon green kind of color that those leaves are when they come out. And she started telling me that, that there is a time for protecting your heart, and there's also a time for 
opening and reaching beyond yourself for something new. And, um, and it was powerful, and none of that came in words. It just came in understanding. And it was just being present, just being there. I don't think I even asked a question, but I certainly was struggling with that at my time, at that time in my life. So I spent the next six or eight months climbing up and down out of that tree and listening to what she would tell me and being held. And, uh, and then there was a flood. We had big rains and there was a flood. And when the flood came, the water came, all they, it kind of shifted the pond around her. So I couldn't get there anymore. And after a while, they came out and actually did some dredging and moved the pond. And I wasn't able to get there. So it was a short period of just about six months. And I will tell you, she was my best friend for that time. And really a brilliant being. And so when I, when I hear about George Washington Carver, it's very visceral, very real for me, very tangible for me to understand this man's desire to go out into nature and connect with the wisdom that is there. It's a very mystical, amazing experience. And I really want to encourage you to have that. Because the whole purpose of this series is not that we will listen and observe and learn history, even though that's happening. The whole purpose is that we'll open up to the mystical experiences that are available to us in the world. And it's not by accident that all of those other beings came before us. All of that was here before humanity was here. There's tremendous wisdom around us. So as we wrap up our time with George Washington Carver, I want to encourage you to go out now, make time. Notice that it's spring. We'll hit spring this week, won't we? Notice, even as I came in this morning, I noticed that in the flower beds, just the tiniest little sprouts are starting to come forward. Hopefully they'll get a little strong before our trick snow gets here. Because we know that spring is not quite here for us. That it's, the snow will hopefully come in, in another month. But I invite you to look at what's alive in your yard. To take time in a close park. To put your hands on a tree. To touch a flower. To acknowledge real life that looks different and communicates differently than you are, than you do, to really tap into the rest of the world that has such a strong and important message for you. And I have a couple quotes from George Washington Carver for you. The first is, when you do the common things in life in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. That's what he did, huh? The second is, it is simply service that measures success. The next is, the secret of my success? It's simple. It's found in the Bible. In all ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. 
That's from Proverbs. And finally, he said this, anything will give up its secrets if you love it enough. Not only have I found that when I talk to the little flower or to the little peanut, they will give up their secrets, but I have found that when I silently commune with people, they give up their secrets also, if you love them enough. 